right you have. We would be honored if you would join us. What's up, Cosmic Crusaders and Galaxy Gladiators? The moment you have been waiting for has supernova this way into view. We're jumping into the final episode of this mesmerizing Death Trooper saga right here on Star Wars Audio Archives. At the helm, it is yours truly, me, Kyle, your faithful captain of this Star Wars voyage. First and foremost, happy Halloween. I have loved the Day of the Dead ever since I was an apprentice. The costume, the treats, and all of the scary moments. Remember the goosebumps the first time you seen a Rancor or the heart racing thrill when Luke faced Vader? Prepare to be riveted because this episode is destined to be a Halloween treat. So are you ready to hear the final part of this story? Then let's get to it. Crack. The next blast that slammed into the hull of the Imperial landing craft was no handheld weapon. Sartorius only realized this fact when the craft jolted suddenly upward and to the side, jerking him free from the two soldiers who had come out of the cockpit and launching him across the cabin head first into Gorister. The X-Wing laser cannon, he thought wildly. Those things out there, they saw me use it. And then, I guess Gorister is right after all. They can learn. The commander stared up at him with an expression of perfect disorientation, like a man shaken from a particularly vivid dream. What? What's happening? Gorister's full attention was still riveted on Sartorius. Then his eyes got even wider and he looked around the cabin at his starved men and the empty folded uniforms of the ones he'd killed and eaten. For an instant, Sartorius thought he glimpsed total self-realization in the commander's expression, a revelation of the depthless depravity to which he'd sunk over the last 10 weeks. Sartorius reached up and punched the button over his head, deactivating the locking mechanism on the emergency hatch. Then, seizing Gorister by the collar, he swung him straight upward, using his skull as a battering ram. It would never have worked with the lock still armed. There was a reason the transport had been able to keep out the undead for 10 weeks. But now that the mechanism was disarmed, both the hatch and Gorister's skull gave way on impact, the steel flap swinging open. Sartorius hoisted him outward, flung his limp body to the side, and reached down to grab another man at random, plucking him up under his arms. Starvation had made their bodies considerably lighter, and Sartorius managed to wrench him through the hatchway almost single-handedly. Outside, the mob of the undead had surrounded the landing craft on all sides, a sea of hungering faces, inmates, guards, and the original crew of the shuttle. As Sartorius had predicted, one of them had already clambered into the X-Wing next to the shuttle and was groping desultorily at the controls. The cannons weren't pointed at the shuttle. Had the thing inside the cockpit somehow banked a lucky shot off the hangar wall into their hull? Then, he saw the other X-Wing, 40 meters away, pointed straight at him. One of them was inside there, too. Are they all climbing into ships? Sartorius reached down, plucked another soldier from the transport, and heaved him out into the mob. The things fell on him instantly, grabbing his arms, legs, and head, ripping him to pieces while he was still alive. Despite his attempts to look away, Sartorius caught a glimpse of the man's face, stretched wide in a silent scream, as one of the undead popped his shoulder cleanly from the socket. The thing next to him took an enormous bite that removed one of the soldier's arms, waving it at the others, wielding it like a club. Sartorius swung back down through the emergency hatch into the shuttle and grabbed the next man, who had been coming at him with some kind of primitive melee weapon in his fist, some truncheon or knife. Sartorius yanked him through in one thoughtless, adrenaline-fueled gesture. There was a third man behind him, and Sartorius grabbed him as well, under the arm and beneath his scrawny shanks, and hauled him up onto the shuttle's hull, the starved soldier gaping up at him from a place beyond all helplessness. Please, he said. Please don't. Something about the voice stopped him, and Sartorius looked into his face and saw that underneath the filth and hunger and fatigue, the soldier was just a boy, an adolescent thrust into service of an empire whose only enduring purpose was death. You don't have to do this. Looking out on the soulless, shambling things, Sartorius saw them devouring the bodies he'd thrown them waving severed limbs, fighting over the last ragged bundles of shredded viscera. Then he looked down at the young soldier again, the sunken face and terrified eyes. The boy was watching them too, 
He looked like he was about to pass out from sheer horror. Sartorius could hear the air scraping in and out through his throat, the hollows of his lungs. For a moment, Sartorius was completely transported back to the last seconds of Von Longo's life, the upturned face, the beseeching eyes peering into him for some trace of mercy. What's your name? Sartorius asked. Sir? Your name. Your parents gave you one, didn't they? For an instant, the kid seemed to have forgotten it. Then, tentatively, White, does this ship still fly, White? The shuttle? The soldier's head went up and down. Well, yeah, but that tractor beam... Let me worry about that. I might be back, and if I am, you and your buddies. Sartorius flicked his eyes off in the direction where he'd thrown Gorister. We understand each other, White? Yes, sir. I'm gonna make a break for it, and I recommend you use that opportunity to get this vessel locked down the best you can. Without waiting to see if the kid got the message, Sartorius released his collar, allowing him to slide back down inside the shuttle and gazed back across the hangar. His mind instinctively calculating a trajectory between the diversions he'd created when he'd thrown the other bodies out. It was a simple mathematical equation, and he'd always been good at math. Turning hard, head down, he went pounding down the other direction, toward the bow of the shuttle, leapt off, and hit the ground running. Instantly, a throng of the things came slamming toward him, arms outstretched and grasping. Sartorius plowed into them, skidded in a pool of blood, and felt an abrupt slash of pain across his left forearm, but didn't stop to look at it. He ran on, making a hard dash for the back of the hangar. The salvaged vessels behind him might be his only way off the destroyer, but they were no good to him unless he could disable the tractor beam, and that would mean getting himself to the command bridge first, and then... There was a doorway at the far end of the hangar, and as he ran through it, he heard an electronic beep go off. Probably just a simple light sensor registering traffic through the walkway. He looked around, but didn't see anything. If one of those things had followed him back here, it was hiding from him now, which didn't make sense. At what point, he wondered, did fear itself become so redundant that it atrophied and dropped off entirely, like an unnecessary evolved-away appendage? Or would his species always find a use for fear, no matter how extreme the circumstances? Sartorius took another look at his empty hands. Never in his life had he wanted a blaster as much as he did right now. The idea of venturing unarmed through the destroyer was practically unthinkable. But if he stayed here, death was a guarantee. It is anyway. The only question is when. Walking backward, Trying to see everything at once, he bumped into something hard and felt it recoil against him, jostling on a cushion of air. Sartorius turned around and looked at it, unable to keep the half-smile from spreading over his face. It was the hoverlifter they'd come across earlier, the one they'd left here because it couldn't hold all of them. Maybe my luck's finally starting to turn. He took a breath and reached up to pull himself aboard the lifter and noticed the bloody gash just below his right elbow. That was how he realized he'd been bitten. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. I don't know about you, pal, but I was hoping for better. That was Han Solo as he finally set foot inside the command bridge of the Star Destroyer. He'd been around a long time and seen a great deal of strange things, but if he survived this he'd definitely have people buying his drinks for a long time to come. 
The catwalk had, well, to be honest, it had almost been more than he could handle. Crossing over had been difficult enough, weaving their way along through open space with nothing to hold on to. The bowel churning vertigo as his center of gravity whirled like a gyro with a broken ball and socket. He hadn't wanted to look down, but once the things down in the pit started shooting, he didn't have much choice. They fired randomly, like they hadn't had much experience with blasters, but that was little reassurance when Hans saw the sheer number of them. Firing back would have been a waste. There could have been thousands. At this distance, it was impossible to say. It occurred to Han that they still seemed to be waking up, roused to consciousness by the presence of fresh meat, and their aim was poor. Though by the end, it had seemed to be improving. More than once, the blasts had come close enough that he tasted ozone. And if he'd lost his footing, if he'd slipped and fallen down into the sea of hungry bodies, with deliberate effort, he forced himself back into the present moment. They were inside the command bridge, faced with the expanse of low-slung computer modules and navigation equipment with which the entirety of this kilometers-long miracle of interstellar destruction was steered. It was smashed almost beyond recognition. The screens had been punched through, banks of circuitry and sophisticated sensor arrays blasted, shattered, or yanked completely loose from their moorings. Most of them flattened, as if under some unthinkably heavy boot. Every step they took announced itself with the muffled crumple of broken glass. Looks like we finally found somebody that hates the Empire more than we do, huh? Han asked, shaking his head. You tried the Navi computer yet? <laughs> Chewie barked without bothering to look around. Okay, I'm just asking. Can't blame a guy for hoping, right? He sighed and brushed debris from a seat facing one of the less thoroughly demolished consoles, plopping down. Only thing still running is the tractor beam, huh? What kind of encryption are we looking at? He reached for a working keyboard and punched in a series of keystrokes. Guys who designed this stuff weren't all that bright. How hard can it be? Something in the console chirruped, and crystalline patterns began to coalesce on the cracked screen, clarifying and sharpening into lines of navigational code. Hey, Chewy, I think I got something here. Beneath him, in response to his directive, the entire destroyer tilted slightly on its axis. Han, who'd never flown anything remotely this big in his life, felt a kind of fatalistic good humor taking root in the floorboards of his psyche. What would the Imperial High Command have to say about this, he thought, seeing a lowly smuggler with a price on his head sitting behind the controls of a Star Destroyer. See? What did I tell you? He tapped in another set of instructions, not looking up. Hey. Did you get a chance to look inside those hyperdrive systems? Everything jolted hard, and Han sat up fast, trying to figure out what he'd done and how to undo it. It felt like the destroyer was listing slightly, and one of the consoles had begun to emit a low, steady whine. Lines of text were crawling across the broken monitor. Chewie? The Wookiee was gone. Han stood up. Looking across the empty bridge, he listened, holding the blaster he'd found at waist level. The space around him suddenly felt very large and absolutely silent, except for the faint click of data emerging on the screen. His eyes flicked down to it again with increasing impatience. Whatever encryption had locked the tractor beam into place was still active. It was awaiting a password. Then, from one of the adjoining spaces, he heard it. A faint growl. Chewbacca? Finger on the trigger, he crept across the bridge, following the sound and found himself looking into a sub-chamber he hadn't noticed until now. It was lined floor-to-ceiling with backup systems, whole panels of pulsating lights. The destroyer tilted again, not dramatically, but enough that Han could definitely feel the shift in equilibrium, and he wondered if he'd done something to destabilize its processing systems. The last thing they needed was for this entire vessel to go belly up on them in the middle of nowhere. He looked inside the sub-chamber. Chewie, what's going on in there? Chewbacca was crouched in the semi-darkness, looking at something. When he rose up, Han saw he was holding a small, hairy body. Another Wookiee, Han realized. Very young. It was wearing a tattered prison uniform. How'd he get in here? The young Wookiee gave a weak, bleeding cry. <coughs> Chewbacca gazed at him and then back up at Han. Great, Han sighed. Anybody else we're supposed to rescue while we're here? Chewie uttered a warning grunt, 
Okay, okay. Bring him out, Han muttered. You put yourself in a line once and all of a sudden everybody's got their hand out. Chewbacca carried the small Wookiee out, and Han got a better look at the youngster's face. His eyes were reddish and cloudy. His throat was swollen so badly that he seemed to be having trouble breathing. The tongue protruded thickly from his throat. Where's the rest of your family? The Wookiee bleated again, and Han saw where he was pointing. To another hatchway on the opposite side of the command bridge. They're in there? What are they doing? Hiding? Chewbacca carried him over, shifted his weight to one arm, and reached out to open the hatchway. As he did so, the destroyer yawed slightly again. Han saw a trickle of blood come oozing out from underneath the door and across the tilting durasteel floor toward them. Whoa, Han said, and nodded down, where the trickle had become a steady stream. What is that? <laughs> Chewbacca made a quizzical grunt and looked back at the young Wookiee who sat up with a sudden burst of energy and pushed the button himself to open the hatch. There were three full-grown Wookiees in prison uniforms hunched together in the corner, squatting together, sloshing around in what looked like an entire ocean of blood. Han could see that the fur of their faces was slathered in gobbets of meat, and they were snorting and smacking and breathing heavily as they tore into a pile of human remains sprawled around them. The corpses they were devouring appeared to be wearing Imperial Guard uniforms. Han breathed. What the? All at once they looked up. It happened instantaneously, a blur of bloody hair and hot shaggy musculature jolting toward him faster than his eyes could process. Han's reflexes took over and he opened fire on the closest one. The point-blank assault tearing the Wookiee's chest apart, laying it out flat on the floor where the thing flopped and coughed and tried to right itself. The one behind it went pinioning sideways and landed on its side, scrambling to get up while the third trampled over it. Han shot it in the face, snapping it backward. Then he opened on the one that had been trampled, blasting it until he reduced it to a mangled heap of trembling fur. Next to him, Chewbacca appeared to be frozen, as if utterly detached from the situation. As Han took a step backward, he felt small, sharp hands hooking into the hollow of his neck and looked around to see the young one's mouth snapping at him. He tried to shove it off, but the thing had attached itself to him with its arms and legs, its frantic, overheated body squirming against him like a giant rat. A deafening explosion went off next to him and the young Wookiee's head burst apart. As it slumped off him and hit the floor, Han saw Chewbacca lowering his blaster. Thanks, Han said. Nice of you to join in. Chewie didn't say anything. He was still looking at the body on the floor. Let's get out of here, huh? Check the hyperdrive. Eventually, with what seemed like great difficulty, Chewie turned away. The ventilation shaft hadn't been much wider than Trigg's body when he'd first entered it, and now it seemed to be constricting as he squeezed through. Every few seconds, a thick blast of humid air came roaring over him, buffeting his clothes and hair, and he heard metal clanking like a broken valve somewhere inside its endless length. How far it would take him, or where it ultimately let out, he didn't know. He could just as easily die inside here, lost and dehydrated, one more speck in the indifferent maw of the universe. Then, up ahead, he saw the end of the shaft. Dim light from somewhere below cast a pale yellow rectangle on the top of the shaft. He wouldn't be able to go any farther. Creeping closer, right up to the edge, he stuck out his neck and peered over. He felt his stomach plummet down to his knees. The vent emptied out into the same abyss that he'd labored so intensely to avoid earlier. The yawning pit with the long tube of the destroyer's main engine turbine at its bottom. It looked even bigger from directly overhead. Immediately below him, less than a meter away, was the narrow catwalk where Han and Chewie had crossed. Close enough that he could probably lower himself down onto it, if he absolutely had to. It would mean clinging onto the edge of the vent while he swung his legs down, dropping down onto the catwalk without losing his balance, and from behind him, inside the shaft, something shifted. Trigg looked back, froze, wanted to scream. The thing in the stormtrooper helmet was making its way up the vent toward him. No question about what was happening now. It was groping its way forward and looking at him intently through the soulless lenses of the helmet. No. Trigg whispered. Don't. It kept coming, the oversized helmet wobbling on its head as it crept forward. Trigg looked back over the edge of the vent again. 
He could feel his entire body shaking helplessly, his heart racing so fast and hard that he thought it might burst inside his chest. You have to go down there, a voice said inside his head. You have to go to the catwalk. It's the only way. Or else that thing, that thing. I don't want to. I can't. He glanced back at the thing crawling toward him. It ducked its head and started crawling faster. That was when the helmet fell off. Trigg blinked, momentarily undone by the shock and dismay, so disorienting that he actually forgot where he was and what he was doing. In that second, he could only stare at the face that had been revealed under the helmet. His brother's ruined grin. One entire side of his face destroyed beyond recognition the gleaming socket and smashed bone. And then, he heard himself trying to speak, his voice rusty, scarcely a whisper. Kale? The thing looked at him and just kept coming. Kale, it's me. It's Trig. It showed no sign of hearing him. Trig could see it salivating now. The drool mixing with runnels of blood dried to its face. He could hear it breathing, and the noise reminded him of the sound the air made as it whooshed through the vent. This was too much. It wasn't happening. And if it was, then it meant he'd gone mad, in which case... It pounced forward, smashing him down against the vent at the very edge of the outflow lip. Trigg opened his mouth to say something and burst into tears. This time, he let them come out all they wanted. Tears and snot and sobs and bawling. And why not? What possible difference could any of it make now? Kale's mouth opened and closed, and Trigg could smell the death that was locked in there. The death that had been dealt to his brother. The death that his brother was about to deal to him. Kale wasn't going to answer him, and he wasn't going to stop. Trigg had loved his big brother more than anything else in the galaxy, and it didn't matter now. Kale? It gave a snarl and lowered its face to Trigg's neck the teeth and tongue sweeping over his throat, dripping hot breath that smelled like some ghastly, poisonous moss. Kale's hands felt both hot and cold at the same time, the dead flesh moist, sticky, and clutching. He'd climbed on top of Trigg now, pressing down on him with his full weight. With a cry of pain, Trigg shoved him back. A white-hot spark of something he'd never felt before went sizzling across the pit of his stomach and landed on his heart. And a light went out inside him followed by a dismal realization of what was about to happen. It was like a story he'd already heard, the ending written long before he ever got a chance to do anything about it. Look after your brother. Kale, I'm sorry. As Kale pushed in on him again, more hungrily now, Trigg straightened his knee under his brother's torso and rammed it upward, momentarily lifting his brother's body off him. Throwing Kale to the side, Trigg twisted around, grappled with his wrists, and levered his brother backward to the edge of the vent. Then, he pushed him over. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Kale fell without a sound. Trigg watched him drop, growing smaller, a teardrop against the expanse. As the semi-darkness swallowed him up, the silhouette only partially illuminated by the faint lights surrounding the engine turbine, Trigg saw what he hadn't seen earlier down below. Upturned faces. Thousands of them. They were, as they always must have been, clustered down at the bottom on either side of the turbine, as if drawn to the ghost of its now absent hum. Even through his veil of shock, the delayed reaction to what had just occurred, Trigg knew what he was looking at. It was the original crew of the Star Destroyer. They were screaming up at him as one. At that same second, Kale's body hit the turbine and bounced, flopping off the side and disappearing into the teeming morass of bodies. The resulting sound was an even louder scream, like a single entity awakening and achieving a kind of brute mass consciousness, awareness that hardly progressed beyond the immediate physical needs. 
Their breathing wafted up toward him in invisible gradations of damp warmth, their hunger seeping through the air like thermals rising before a storm. They see me. Already they began to reach up toward him, the moaning noise becoming more aggressive, rising in pitch and volume to find that steady, now familiar waveform. Shifting and swaying, some of them began attempting to climb up the sides of the turbine itself in an effort to get closer to him. Some appeared to be holding things, but at first, Trigg didn't know what the objects were. Just as he started pulling himself back into the vent, thinking he could at least backtrack far enough to evaluate his options, the blasters started firing. They were shooting at him, and their aim was deadly accurate. Before he could start crawling inside, Trigg felt the vent shaft jerk and burst open in front of him, squealing free of its soldered housing and dumping him straight out. He toppled out the end without being able to grab onto anything, and for a moment he was falling through space, one final trajectory echo of his big brother. He hit the catwalk hard, and it doubled him up upon impact, chiseling shards of pain up through his ankles and legs. Trigg grabbed it and held on, fingers curled into the cold latticework, clamping down on it with his entire body. He could both hear and feel the blaster bolts resonating through space around him. One of them was going to hit him, and he could only hope the blaster killed him before he fell into that far-off mass of outstretched hands and gnashing mouths. He wanted to be dead before that happened. All around him, the catwalk shook and bonged with the impact of the blasters. Chips of durasteel streaked past his cheek, tiny cold specks of pure velocity. He wasn't thinking clearly at all anymore, and that might have explained why he didn't react immediately when he saw Han and Chewie at the far end of the catwalk, staring back at him. They must have just come back down from the command bridge. Trigg's mind droned dazedly. I guess things didn't work out so well up there, either. Han could definitely see him, Trigg knew. He was waving at him frantically, either to move forward or stay down. Trigg wasn't sure. Meanwhile, what exactly was the plan? Both Han and Chewie had blasters, but two weapons hardly mattered against the blitz of firepower below them. They might as well have been as unarmed as Trigg himself, and neither of them appeared to be willing to venture back out onto the catwalk in the middle of all this. Not that Trigg blamed them. Trigg narrowed his eyes. Han was gesticulating even more desperately now, shouting at the top of his lungs. He was pointing up, up, and when Trigg tilted his head straight up, he saw the last section of vent shaft dangling loose from above, swinging back and forth. Hands were reaching out of it. Trigg thought of the mountain of corpses on the other end of the shaft, how it had started coming to life as he'd climbed it. They followed me down the shaft. He watched in mute and suffocating terror as the owner of the hands slithered out. It was an Imperial soldier, its dead face lit with urgency. Clamoring for Trigg, it rocked back and forth inside the dangling vent, lost its balance, and then fell out. Hands scrabbling furiously as it fell past him, plummeting down into the blackness. Three more Imperials squirmed free after that, spilling out like hideous, fully formed offspring from some unthinkably fertile ovipositor. The vent section swung back again, and this time Trigg realized that whatever was inside it was actually waiting for the vent to arc forward before it jumped, so it could use that last ounce of forward momentum to grab him as it sprang free from it. The corpse launched itself at him, too fast for Trigg to see its face, and he plastered himself to the wall, feeling claw-like fingers scrape and smear across his torso. The thing snapped its fist around his leg, and this time, it held on. Trigg looked down. For an instant, the only thing he could see was the limp sack of bruise-colored flesh that had once been its face, staring up at him. The place where the piercings had been ripped out. The gaping leech maw of its mouth. When the mouth opened, Trigg could still see the glint of steel piercing up through his gullet. The blade that Kale had shoved up through there, what felt like a thousand years ago. Zahara tried three keyboards before she found one that worked. Fingers trembling, she jacked it into the secondary workstation and held her breath, waiting to see if they were compatible. The 2-1-B had declined to accompany her up to the hangar control room, electing instead to stay in the biolab, in case I'm needed, but the droid's directions had been flawless. 
He had sent her through a Byzantine maze of walkways that delivered her to a service lift, and she'd taken it straight up to the pilot's ready room, through another set of doors that opened on hangar control itself. The large enclosed booth stood at least 30 meters off the docking floor. From her current vantage point, she could see everything. The six or so random ships that the destroyer's tractor beam had sucked in on one end, and on the other, the half-destroyed docking shaft that had brought them up here from the barge. The things were down there, too. Hundreds of them, or perhaps thousands, swarmed the different damaged ships, teeming so thickly that Zahara couldn't begin to estimate their numbers. More were pouring in constantly through various hatchways and doors, a non-stop flood of bodies crawling over one another toward the different vessels. Every few seconds they screamed together, that same sonic waveform, and that only seemed to accelerate the arrival of others. How was she going to get down there? And if she did, how could she possibly hope to get inside one of those captured spacecraft without... First things first. The screen in front of her blinked obediently on, awaiting the password. Her fingers hovered over the keyboard for a moment, and then she typed in the word she'd read scrawled across the floor of the biolab. Blackwing. There was a long pause, and the screen went completely blank. Then, abruptly, across the top, Password accepted. Enter command. Zahara let herself exhale a sigh that seemed to loosen every muscle in her chest, shoulders, and back. She typed in, Access Master Control to Star Destroyer Tractor Beam. After a split second, the response came back. Master Control to Tractor Beam is accessed. She typed, Disable Tractor Beam. For a moment, nothing happened. Then the computer responded, Unable to complete command. Zahara scowled. Explain inability to complete command. Immediately, tractor beam has already been disabled. She sat back and looked at the screen with a slight frown remaining on her forehead. Had Han and Chewie actually managed to switch the thing off from the command deck? If so, then they should be on their way back now, assuming the plan was still to get out of here on one of the scuttled ships. She looked back down at the heaving mass of bodies that filled the hangar floor. Hopefully, Han and the Wookiee had found some more firepower along the way. Leaning forward, she typed, What is Blackwing? The system replied, Blackwing, Imperial Bioweapons Project I-71A. Galactic Virus Dissemination and Distribution Algorithm. Classified. Top Secret. Project Status. In Progress. Distribution Algorithm? She looked back out at the bodies in the hangar, now packed so densely that in many places she couldn't even see the floor. Every few seconds, they released another version of that ringing, rhythmic scream. And when she listened, she could hear the other scream reverberating back from somewhere in the destroyer. It only made them move more urgently. But they weren't just milling around anymore. The corpses were climbing into the different spacecraft. The X-wings, the landing shuttles and transports, the freighter in the far corner of the hangar. Still others were streaming back into the half-blasted docking shaft, leading back down to the prison barge. Zahara saw that they were lugging something on their backs. She looked more closely. Black metal tanks. She glanced back at all the different vessels in the hangar, thinking again about the distribution algorithm, a coordinated means by which the Empire could spread the virus everywhere it wanted, across the entire galaxy. Distractedly, she watched a group of the things lined up alongside an X-Wing, working together to turn it around, pointing it up toward where she was standing. Her mind went back to what Waste had told her about quorum sensing, the way the disease worked. They don't do anything until they can all do it together when it's too late for the host organism to fight it. But why? Then it hit her, and she spoke aloud without realizing it. They're leaving. Down below, the X-Wing was aimed straight up at her. What had the other 2-1-B said about being exposed up here? A blinding column of flame tore across the hangar, hurtling straight for her. The kids stood no chance. Even from here, Han could see how it was going to play out. 
and if he and Chewie went out on the catwalk to try to help him, it would just mean all three of them would die together. It was a miserable thing to realize, yet there it was, a rock-solid certainty. Chewie gave a long, mournful howl. Yeah, I know, Han shot back, hating himself all the more for having to say it out loud. You got any better suggestions? Out on the catwalk, the kid was slipping off, the thing dangling stubbornly from his ankle, dragging him down. He might be able to hang on for another five seconds, certainly no more. In an act of pure desperation, Han leveled his blaster, knowing he had no shot. He could just as easily hit Trig from this distance, or miss altogether. But what else was he supposed to do? Are you really going to sit this one out? Cash it in, go down without a fight? Chewbacca was looking at him, awaiting the decision. At last, Han nodded and lowered the blaster. Okay, he muttered. On my signal, we go out, just try to grab him. <laughs> Chewie gave another howl, this one more startled, and Han saw what he was looking at. It was too late. The kid had let go. The kid was falling. From the moment his fingers finally slipped off, some part of Trig felt nothing but pure weightless relief. After everything that had happened, just to give up and surrender himself to gravity and the void. As he fell, mist still clinging to his legs, he looked down into the screaming faces coming closer and felt the full intensity of their wrath swallowing him up. He remembered hoping that he'd be dead by the time he hit, and guessed that probably wouldn't happen either, unless something swooped underneath him and he smashed into it, connecting with his right hip and shoulder and rolling backward, arms and legs flopping with the leftover momentum. A heartbeat later and his forehead ricocheted off the smoothness of cold prefabricated resin. He propped himself up, felt the speed accumulating around his face, pushing forward. He wasn't falling anymore, but he was moving. He realized that he landed inside some kind of hovercraft, a utility lifter, shooting across the empty space above the main engine turbine, still 20 meters above the deathscape of screaming faces. Trigg turned his head and glanced forward. There was a figure perched up at the steering console. He couldn't see who it was, except that the man seemed to be wearing an Imperial prison guard uniform. The lifter tilted, arcing sideways over the abyss, and when the driver shot a glance back around, Trigg got a look at his face. Not that it made any sense, but after two and a half months aboard the prison barge, he would have recognized Jareth Sartoris anywhere. Sartoris banked hard and swung the lifter around toward the far side of the catwalk where Han and Chewie stood staring at it with a look of disbelief that matched Trigg's own. The guard's voice was a hoarse croak above the screams and blaster fire. You coming? Han and Chewie dived in without a word. The lifter sank under the new weight and Sartoris rammed the stick forward and up. Watching him wrestle with it, Trigg noticed the deep bite on his forearm the way the underlying tissue had already started to bulge and pucker from some gray, squirming necrosis deep inside. Sartoris was fighting more than just the throttle, he realized. The lifter rocked sideways, straining to hold them above the mob below, faces lit up by steady, strafing blaster fire. Han and Chewie had already taken their positions over either side, shooting back. You're that pilot, right? Sartoris shouted, not looking over. Can you fly this? Han blinked at him. You're gonna let me. See this? Sartoris held up his bitten arm, the exposed tissue squirming visibly now, as though it had a series of small, electrically charged serpents writhing just below the flesh, trying to find a way out. I don't have much time. Yeah, well... Han leaned over and squeezed off another round of fire into the masses. Chewie and I are a little busy right now. Sartoris looked over his opposite shoulder. How about you? Me? Trig squeaked. We're overloaded. Sartoris gestured over at the pitch and yaw alarms that had already started flashing faster on the main console, and Trig realized with horror that they were still going down, descending slowly but steadily into the shrieking morass below. Within seconds, they'd be feeling the clutching hands thumping the underside of the lifter, yanking themselves on board. The hover won't take the weight. I don't think I can... Time to learn. Sartoris took hold of the boy's arm and steered him forward past Han, planting him in front of the console. Got it? Where are we going? 
There's an Imperial shuttle down in the hangar with some soldiers aboard. Look for a kid named White. Trigg realized the captain of the guards was holding on to his shoulder, looking at him. The man's eyes burned through, clear and bright. You understand what I'm telling you? But... Sartoris squinted, the vertical lines deepening on either side of his mouth. Furrows that you could fall through if you weren't careful. There's something you should know about your father. You knew him? He was a good man, Sartoris said. Unlike me. Trigg stared at him. He would have been proud of you. You ought to know that. How? Trigg started. He was still talking when Sartoris swung his legs over the lifter's side rail and jumped. Kid! Han cried out. Are you flying this thing or what? Trigg leaned forward, grappling clammy palmed with the throttle, barely keeping them from colliding with the wall. The turbine and its abyss were behind them now, shearing off at some unlikely angle. Everything in front of him was coming at him too fast, a smear of reckless velocity. Twenty meters below, in the concourse leading forward, the original inhabitants of the destroyer were still shooting and climbing the walls trying to get them. They were packed together, thousands of them, a solid river of reeking and deteriorated flesh. As one, they threw back their heads and let out another group scream. It was answered by another scream from far away. You know where you're going? Han shouted. Trigg glanced down at the layout on the lifter's navigational screen, the blip showing where they were among the labyrinth of mid-level passageways. He felt sweat dripping under his armpits and over his ribs. You can do this. The lifter jerked. Something was climbing up from the underside. He could feel the lifter tipping. Han leaned over, trying to see what it was, and shook his head. I can't get a shot. Trigg looked forward again. He brought the throttle down as low as he dared, until he saw the exhaust manifold rising up from the corrugated floor. Holding his breath, he nudged the stick forward, dropping them another fraction of a millimeter. It was a pure seat-of-your-pants speculation, the sort of thing his father and his brother would have excelled at. But he was the only one left to do it. Trigg, what? Bam! The corpse underneath the lifter slammed into the manifold, scraped off, and went pinwheeling sideways, headless now down into the masses that had spawned it. Han threw him an appreciative glance. That's more like it. Careering around a corner, Trigg steered them down the slightly wider throughway, dull yellow lights wickering past like his own wildly careering thoughts. He kept going back to what Sartoris had said just before jumping off the lifter. He was a good man. I'm not. It had been a generality, spoken by a man who knew he was going to his death. Why had it sounded like he'd been confessing to killing Von Longo? A burst of static broke from the lifter's comlink, a voice rising from its speaker. Hello, is anyone there? Han's arm shot past his face to grab the link, flicking it on. Who's this? It's Dr. Cody, the voice cut in. Hangar control. We're on our way now, Han said. No, you must stay away. Say again? I'm under attack by a... The comlink sputtered, Zahara's voice reduced to a warble. Trigg thought he heard blasters in the background, the twang and crash of catastrophic wreckage. He watched as Han changed frequencies, trying to home in on the signal. I'm losing you, Doc, Han said. Just hang in, okay? There's too many of them. You must... Zahara's voice was drifting, lost between clouds of heavier static. Trigg thought he heard the words, laser cannon, and then the link broke off entirely. Han dropped the comlink and checked the lifter's digitized schematic. It's okay. We're almost there, right? He said. That's the entryway straight ahead. Trigg eased the stick back and then let it go forward, getting a feel for it at last, now that the trip was all but over. The lifter blurred through the end of the corridor, toward the hatchway where Han was pointing. Despite the fact that they were almost there, Trigg felt an odd tug of apprehension a sense of having made the wrong decision about something so long ago that there was no way to correct it now. Chewie growled, and Han's nostrils flared. He looked worried. Yeah, he said. I smell it too. Trigg glanced over. What? Smoke. The hangar wall was on fire. Through the smoke, Trigg could see the army of the dead pouring through, headed to the far end of the hangar. The X-Wing that had evidently attacked the wall was still pointed at it, its laser cannons tilted upward with random blocks of salvaged equipment. 
Trigg glanced back up where the flames had overtaken the west end of the hangar, obscuring everything in a wall of thick, oily smoke that smelled like burning copper wires and charred durasteel. Where did Dr. Cody say she was? He shouted. Main hangar control, Han said. Which is? Han pointed directly into the flames. Trigg pulled back on the stick, angling the lifter up into the choking black wall. Instantly, his eyes, nose, and throat started stinging, tears streaming down his face. He could hear Han shouting at him, and Chewbacca let out a loud, angry roar that broke off in a burst of deep coughs. What are you doing? Han said. You want to get us killed? I'm not leaving her. If she's up there, she's already dead. Trigg brought the lifter upward until he was staring through the flames into what was left of the main hangar command. Melted computers and consoles lay bubbling across the warped durasteel floorboards like a surrealist nightmare of Imperial technology. She's not in there, he thought. She made it out. Maybe... The thought snapped off cleanly in his mind. It was a small shape, dwarfed by the oblong slab of charred components that had toppled over to crush it. Trigg looked at the slender hand protruding outward from underneath the pile, remembered how it had looked resting on his father's shoulder in the infirmary. He felt the last of his breath evaporate from his lungs, leaving him absolutely still. Kid? Han's voice was far off, and from the sound of it, Trigg knew he'd seen her too. We have to go. Trigg opened his mouth to speak, but nothing came out. He turned the lifter away and down. In the final moments before leaving the Star Destroyer, Trig Longo saw things he knew he'd never forget, no matter how much he wanted to. Later, when he tried to put the pieces together and make sense of it, the words weren't there, and he found himself sifting through jumbled images, raw memories, and feelings that still frightened him as badly as they had when he'd first experienced them. He was still reeling with shock over what he'd seen up above. After losing Kale, he'd figured his capacity for grief and pain had been exceeded. But the knowledge that Dr. Cody was gone too was almost more than he could stand. It left him grief-stricken and miserably nauseated, as though he might vomit up some small, bitter piece of his own heart. Down below on the hangar floor, the things inside the hangar had stopped screaming and were focused only on packing every remaining spacecraft, watching them. Trigg saw that there was no longer any question of priorities. They wanted off the destroyer as bad as Trigg, Han, and Chewie did. He hated them. Hated them worse than he'd ever hated Sartorus or Ormis or anything in his life. Hated them with an intensity he'd never imagined himself capable of. It was as if all the molten fear he'd suffered up till now had hardened into glassy black peaks of pure rage. His eyes flicked forward. The landing shuttle that Sartorus told him about was already airborne. Hardly thinking, Trigg swung the lifter alongside it. He saw the emergency hatch pop open, and Han looked around at him hesitantly. You sure about this? That's an Imperial shuttle. Trigg pointed. Look! A skeletal arm waved from the hatch, gesturing them inside, and Trigg didn't wait around to argue. He brought the lifter up, flipped it into auto-hover, and climbed over the transom. It was darker inside the shuttle's cabin, but easier to breathe without the smoke. The Imperial soldier standing in front of them had a pale, starved expression that immediately made Trigg ill at ease. When the soldier smiled, it was like watching a skull stretching through a thinly knit web of yellow flesh. You're white? Trigg asked. Tana? The skeleton shook its head. White didn't make it. It's just me and Pauling up in the cockpit. Yeah, well, Han said and cleared his throat. <clears> throat. We planning on leaving now, or are we taking up permanent residence? As soon as... The whole world started shaking. What's going on? Trigg asked. Han shot up a glance to the shuttle's cockpit, where another cadaverous Imperial soldier, Pauling, he assumed, was fumbling with the controls, hands dangling from his emaciated, stick-like wrists, all of which seemed to be under the control of some ridiculously inept puppeteer. What is that? Pauling croaked, head jerking from side to side. What's happening down there? Hangar bay's opening, Han said. I figured you boys were doing it. Negative. Pauling jerked one crooked thumb out the canopy. I think they are. 
Down below, Han could see the bottom of the Star Destroyer sliding open to reveal the void of space. Off to the right, he thought he glimpsed the bow of the prison barge Purge, appearing very small at the end of its docking shaft, a tiny footnote dangling from the bulk of the saga of Imperial dominance. As the bay came wide open, the captured ships began flying out, a pair of TIE fighters, the freighter, an Imperial shuttle, and the X-wings, spewing outward in all directions, scattering into space like flies off a corpse. As one of the smaller craft flew past them on its way out, Han glimpsed the sallow faces of the dead, peering out at him from the cockpits, crammed in so tightly that the rotted flesh was pressed against the glass. Were some of them actually licking it? Let's go, Han said. What are we waiting for? Pauling punched in a series of commands, and the shuttle started vibrating, then jolted hard to port and stopped moving. What's wrong? Oh, I don't know. Pauling stammered. The thrusters! Get up! Han said, practically jerking the Imperial soldier from his seat and shoving him back toward the cabin. Chewie, we're gonna have to do this ourselves. He looked around. Chewie? No answer came back, and Han didn't have time to go looking for him. He reset the navigational systems to manual and brought the throttle straight up, nosing the shuttle around and angling down until he saw the open bay below him. The galaxy was out there, wide open, just where he'd left it. He punched it. The shuttle shot downward from the Star Destroyer's hangar, rocketing past the prison barge and into space. And for that moment, Han Solo felt the surge of adrenaline he always got when whatever ship he was piloting began living up to her potential. He didn't want to think about the Lady Doctor, what it must have been like for her in the end when those things had opened up on her with the X-Wing's laser cannon. But he knew he would eventually. Couldn't be helped. Concentrate on what you're doing. Don't get stupid now. We're not out of this yet. He was starting to recalibrate the hyperspace navigation system when he first heard the screams. What's happening back there? There was a thump, and Pauling came staggering back into the cockpit. Deep red arterial spray was jetting from the stump where his arm had once been. His face had gone an even paler shade of gray, his mouth gawping open in amazement. Those things! Then his voice stopped. The screams back in the cabin were only getting louder, and Hans stared as Pauling did a weird, wandering pirouette back around and flung his remaining arm in that direction, as if to tell Han about what was going on. Then something grabbed him and jerked him away. Han flicked the guidance systems on remote and groped instinctively for his blaster. What had he done with it? Laid it aside when he'd taken the throttle, but where had it gone? Standing up slowly, he peered around the corner. One of the things from the destroyer's hangar was standing in the cabin. It had removed its broken stormtrooper helmet to eat. How it had managed to get inside the shuttle before takeoff, Han didn't know. And it didn't matter. Its mouth was buried in Pauling's throat, and it was busily slurping his blood, ripping off huge gobbets of his flesh. Han looked down and saw its white-booted foot planted on the chest of the other Imperial soldier, Tanner, or what was left of him. Not much more than a heap of bloody refuse, a black uniform packed with seeping meat, one eye rolled completely backward. Han's gaze swept the cabin. On the other side, he saw Chewbacca and Trigg crouched at the end of the row of seats, staring back at him. Han mimed the word blaster, and both of them shook their heads. What am I supposed to do here? He wondered. I'm not the hero. How many more miracles do these people expect from me, anyway? He stopped. The trooper thing was looking up at him, and grinning. Strands of Pauling's flesh were dangling from its teeth. It lurched for him, arms outstretched, howling loud enough that inside the confines of the cabin, it made Han's ears ring. He tried to dodge backward into the cabin, but his foot caught on something, Pauling's severed arm. As his legs went out from under him and he fell, the last thing he saw was the thing in the stormtrooper uniform dropping on him with his full weight. And then, only darkness. Trigg heard the blaster go off before he saw it. Hunched next to Chewie, he'd been looking around the cabin for anything he could use as a weapon, when the air suddenly came alive with a now familiar jolt. When he swung his head up, the thing in the stormtrooper uniform was already flailing sideways away from Han. Chewbacca was on his feet, 
running toward the thing, picking it up, smoke still pouring from the hole blasted in its back and smashing it down into the cabin floor. Trigg looked back in the direction where the shooting had come from. What he saw was enough of a shock to render him momentarily speechless. Dr. Cody? Zahara leaned in the rear of the cabin with Han's blaster in both hands, upraised and ready. Her voice was low, not much more than a whisper. Careful, Chewbacca. I think I'd better hit him again, just to be sure. Han, still on his hands and knees, scrambled backward, searching himself frantically for signs of bites or infection. When he saw Zahara standing there, he gaped at her. Where did you come from? She didn't respond, just kept her attention fixed on the thing in the trooper armor. It was seizing now, arms and legs flailing. Head flung backward as sluggish, grayish fluid pulsed up from its lips to pool behind its head. As they stared at it, more of the fluid started leaking from its nose and ears, and finally from the corners of its eyes, like sticky, infected tears running down either side of its face. They never did that before, Han said. They've never been this far from the source before. Han looked at her, bewildered. There's probably a heavy contamination residual spread throughout the destroyer from all those tanks. Maybe it's what helps sustain them, slows down the decay process, and keeps the muscle receptors firing. How do you know all this? Zahara gave him a sidelong glance. I get my information from a droid, remember? Hey, I, I didn't mean... It's all right, she said. Look. She pointed out the glass at the other ships that had left the destroyer ahead of them. At first, Han couldn't see what she was trying to show him. But after a moment, he realized what was happening. The escaped ships had stopped moving. They were drifting aimlessly into the depths of space. As he watched, one of the TIE fighters listed drunkenly sideways, swiveling directly into the path of another TIE, and they slammed into each other, exploding on impact. That was Blackwing's flaw, Zahara said. It's going to keep them from spreading it any farther than this. Blackwing? That gray liquid in those tanks was a highly refined version of the virus. The whole operation was set up to create an unlimited supply of it. Probably so that the Empire could manipulate its behavior wherever they wanted. So all those zombies down there, Han said, they were just the middlemen? Like a means to an end? Zahara nodded. I think so. Their resurrected bodies were probably intended to be the suppliers and distributors. But without constant and direct exposure to the virus, they can't function. Hans scratched his chin. I still don't get how you're here. We saw your body up in the main hangar control. That was White, Zahara said. He picked up my distress call. He came out looking for me, got me out of there. But he wasn't fast enough to get out himself. Some random stranger sacrificed himself to save you? Han asked. No offense, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Zahara's smile was a pale, wan line. He said a stranger did the same thing for him. They traveled for a long time without talking. Chewie helped Han fly for a while, and then went back into the cabin to nap, leaving Han alone. Sometimes he thought the galaxy was better observed that way, in silence, when you could sit and look at it and wait for things to make sense. Not that they always did. After a while, the kid came into the cockpit and sat down where Chewie had been. Han didn't say anything, giving him time until he was ready to talk. Where are we headed? Trigg asked finally. Han shrugged. A better place? So there's no plan? There's always a plan. Sometimes it just takes a while to see what it is. Trigg looked at him. What? Han asked. Nothing. That sounds like something my dad used to say, that's all. Your old man, huh? You would have liked him. Trigg sat back, gazing far out into the depths of space and all those stars. Were you ever scared back there? Me? <laughs> Han cocked an eyebrow. Not that I'm looking for an excuse to go back, mind you. How do you like the shuttle? This thing? It's okay. I mean, if you want to see fast, you should see mine. Or should've. Before the Imperials impounded it, that is. Not much to look at, but... He was aware of the kids staring at the instrumentation panel and Navicomputer feeding itself coordinates in a steady chain of silent dialogue. You wanna give it a try? You serious? You flew that hover like a champ. 
Seems to me like you're ready for something bigger. I couldn't. Sure you could. Han handed him a headset. Here, put these on. I'll show you how this works. Trigg blinked at him, a hesitant smile finding its way around the corners of his mouth. You know, Dr. Cody said before that guy White died, he told her about the shuttle. Han nodded. Right. White said his guys had a name for it. Oh yeah? Yeah, Trigg said. Freebird. He glanced at Han tentatively. I like that. Freebird, huh? Han considered. I guess that sounds about right. Han pushed back from the controls so Trigg could get a closer look. Come on over. I'll show you how it's done. Two days later, they sold the transport to a group of Black Hammer pirates on Galantos, in a city called Galfian de Prezi. The sooner I get out of here, Han groaned, the less I have to try to say the name. They were sitting in a tap-calf outside the starport, Trigg looking up from his side of the table, he and Zahara on the other. Where are you headed? With our half of what we got for the transport? Han grinned. To buy my ship back. I thought you said it was confiscated by the Imperials. Are you kidding? As corrupt as those local bureaucrats are, they probably had the Falcon at auction before we were even loaded on that prison barge. It's just a matter of tracking her down. You're not sticking around? Nah. Han stood up and extended a hand across the table. Be seeing you, Doc. He glanced at Trigg. Kid, take care, huh? You too. What about you guys, anyway? You got big plans? Zahara thought for a moment and nodded. Unfinished business. Everyone in Hana City assumed the teenage boy and the woman were brother and sister. Although she was significantly older, they both carried themselves with the same hard-won grace, as if they'd both come through the same fire together. Something in their manner was humble, almost common, and when they traveled, as they did endlessly now, they had little trouble avoiding any difficulties with the Imperials. The morning that they arrived on Chandrala, they spent hours walking through the planet's rolling hills along the shore of Lake Saot. The air here was cool and almost supernaturally clear, crisp enough that they could smell the lush green land far in the distance. It was the kind of place that Trig Longo could imagine settling down in someday, and when he said that to Zahara Cody, she just smiled. Along the eastern shore, they came across a small community of local people, fishermen and farmers. They knew of the family that Zahara asked about, and it wasn't hard to find the small ranch a kilometer away, perched at the edge of a pasture overlooking the water. When they got there, she approached the door and knocked. The woman who answered was darkly beautiful, haunted and haunting at the same time, her eyes deeper than space. At her feet, Three young children clung to the hem of her frock, gazing fearfully at the two strangers on her doorstep. Yes, she said. May I help you? Are you Kai? Zahara asked. Yes, that's right. My name's Zahara Cody. I worked with your husband aboard the prison barge Purge. I'm sorry, I, I don't understand. The woman stared at them nervously. I already spoke to the Empire about this. We're not here as representatives of the Empire, Trigg said. The woman didn't say anything, but her look of wariness grew deeper. Your husband had something he meant to pass on to you, Zahara said. I just wanted to make sure that you got it. Reaching into her pocket, she handed the woman a single tattered sheet of flimsy. The children all gathered closer, craning their necks to watch as Kai opened it up. The smallest of them, too young to read, looked up at his mother. What is it, Mommy? The woman didn't answer for a long time. Her eyes moved back and forth across the page, and Trigg saw tears glimmering there, rising up and spilling over. Then she looked back up at Zahara. Thank you. Zahara and Trigg waited while she read it silently to herself a second time. By the time she finished, the tears were running down her cheeks. She didn't bother wiping them away, and the oldest child had slipped his arm around her, as if he could somehow protect her from her own sadness. Thank you for this, she said. Would you... Would you like to come inside? I was just making some tea. That sounds good, Zahara said. And she and Trigg stepped inside to the clamor of children and the smell of tea. Wow, that finale was as dark as Sidious's backside. If your heart isn't thumping like you heard a strange noise in the dark, then you're one brave explorer. 
As we wrap up this part of the journey, we would like to send out a big, bright thank you that shines like the two bright suns we see on Tatooine. Thanks for riding along on this space adventures where we travel down dark halls of star destroyers, running from zombie herds of stormtroopers fighting to keep our sanity, all to share the spooky stories of death troopers. We wanted to make this Star Wars tale feel just like a Halloween night. A little fun, a little spooky. Now, since this was a spur of the moment series, there will be no giveaway this time around. You will have to wait until the end of next season, but I promise you it'll be worth the wait. So as we finish out this series, remember to keep the magic of Star Wars close to your heart because every ending is just the start of a new adventure. Whenever there is cold and slightly creepy Star Wars tales, I'll be right here, ready to share it with you. So until next time, may the Force be with you, always. Thank you for listening to Star Wars Audio Archives. Join us next time for more Star Wars adventures. If you would like to listen to other episodes of the show, you can follow us on your favorite podcast directory. If you enjoyed the show, we greatly appreciate a five-star review. Once again, thank you for listening, and may the Force be with you. Sway was created by Kenai Shed and is a production of Pick Film Media. This show was produced by Quentin McDaniel and was distributed by Swaycast Networks. Star Wars Death Trooper was read to you by Rick Washington. Sound designed by Theodore Thompson. I'm your host, Kyle, and we will see you next time in a galaxy far, far away.